Good evening, my name is Jeff Manai, I'm an alcoholic. To the grace of God, 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, very good sponsorship. My sobriety date is March 16th, 1992. And this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, there's been a misunderstanding, and I'm embarrassed to tell you this. Uh, I was under the impression that I'd been flown over here to dance with Kathy, so... I don't talk much, but I caught a rug, let me tell you. Um, but I'll give it a whirl. Uh, I think um, the most obvious question in, on everybody's mind, and let's just get it out of the way. Bless you. Um, how do I get amazing color like that guy? And... Uh, I know, I know. I'm going to tell you right now how you can do it. Um, spend your entire life growing up in the upper Midwest of the mainland. Get invited to Hawaii. Get some great advice that says don't spend more than two hours on the beach. Inject a healthy dose of alcoholism that goes one more hour, and then I'm going to be done. One more hour. Eventually spend six hours on the beach. Yeah, and apparently unless I can experience an entire psychic change, we'll do it all again tomorrow, so. I don't mind. <laughs> I want to thank the committee for asking me here tonight. It's, uh, it's an honor and a privilege. I want to thank Kathy and Heidi. I want to thank Eric for picking me up. I want to thank, uh, special thanks, um, some family uh, chaos and calamity uh, prevented me from going with my original plan, and so at one point it looked like I was going to have to make this trip by myself, and then who would I have complained to? And um, so my friend, uh, Dan M. from Fargo, who's down here in the front row, was kind enough to come with me. His altruism has no end. Um, and it's been a great trip. We've had a great time. My uh, my home group, they're kind of used to me going off and speaking. They don't get real excited about it. Most of them are pretty indifferent. But um, this one was getting some juice. And people were paying attention to this trip. And somebody asked me, uh, how do I get invited to speak to Hawaii? And uh, I told them. I gave them an honest answer, but they, they didn't like it. But I said... You know, truthfully, this is what you do. First of all, you, you have to show up. You have to be present to win. You have to be an alcoholic son. Pick up your phone. Answer it. Don't say no to an AA request. Um, by the way, on the side note on the phone thing, I knew fear had started to leave my life when I started to answer my phone without looking at the number. And um, when the phone rings, answer it. And do what's asked of you. I'd be happy to give you a ride. Sure, we can go talk. I'd love to sponsor you. I'd be happy to have this commitment at my home group. I'd be happy to talk to you about that or help you or whatever it happens to be. In any capacity, I can be of service. And then one day, the phone rings and somebody's asking you to come to Hawaii in November when you live in Fargo, North Dakota. <laughs> Pretty good deal. So, what I'm telling you if you're new you stay here and you do these things that we do and you get involved and you really give your all, someday you could be invited to speak in Fargo, North Dakota in November. <laughs> I want to leave you with hope. Um, I'm a... Uh, I don't have a, a watch. I forgot to bring it. And uh, so I'm using my phone. Um... It will be, I was thinking about it, and I was, uh, and by the way, if you want to go back my time back home, it's almost two in the morning. And uh, so I'm like, if I do get a call, probably not going to be a good one. Um, <laughs> hopefully that doesn't happen, but I've got it off. Um, by the way, I, I knew with, when I was stepping up, I had a moment of clarity. 
when I stepped up on the stage, my sponsor's here tonight, and I'll bet you ten bucks, he says, you know, next time you could use the steps. Um, yeah. But why, when there's a quicker, easier way? My, uh, speaking of my sponsor, he tells me that I want to talk to the two people in the crowd. The me that's new and the me that's struggling a little bit in AA. The me that maybe has been around a little while and I'm starting to move towards the exit and I don't even know that it's happening. Uh, so tonight that's exactly what I'm going to do is just share with those two people. Uh, and for the me in the crowd that's new, I just, in, in March, celebrated 20 years, which is a, a fairly significant milestone to me. And, well, well I, hope, I hope you're applauding AA. Um, and I've been spending a lot of time thinking about that kid who walked into the doors uh, of Alcoholics Anonymous 20 years ago. And if I was to talk to him, you know, I'd tell him that, first of all, he's a confused lost little puppy. And but I'll tell you something, the number one word I would use to describe me and I, when I was new and perhaps you is uh fear. I was just scared. I was scared of everything. And if you would have pinned me down and asked me what was wrong, I didn't even know what I was afraid of. I just was jumpy. I was always just looking around and over my shoulder and I was hopeless. And most of all, when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was hearing the wrong message. They weren't saying the wrong message, but I was hearing the wrong message. And because of that, I could not be an alcoholic. And since I am not an alcoholic, Alcoholics Anonymous, while a nice place, is not going to work for me. Because what I heard people talking about were things like, I was a pretty well-balanced individual, and I was doing fine on the game of life until I started drinking. And when I start drinking, my defects of character rise to the surface. And alcohol takes me down a horrible, icky road. And I become a terrible person that I don't want to be. But thankfully, now that I've sobered up, all of that has now subsided. And I am again back to being a normal individual, leading a somewhat normal life. Great. Not my experience. Not what's wrong with me. Let's start at the beginning. I was not a normal, well-balanced individual. I was a goofy little kid. And there's been something wrong with me from as far back as I can remember. Way before alcohol ever came into the picture. I was a sensitive little kid. I had a racy mind that was going all the time. I have a perception problem. Any other of those going on here tonight? I don't see the world as it really is. I have to analyze it. Digest it. Figure out what people really meant. And I'm good at it. I don't see it the way it's going. I, I remember a guy, I mean, it could be the most innocent of things. I remember a guy one time told me at an AME, it's good to see you. What the hell does that mean, huh? It's good to see me. Like, I haven't been around in a while, and you have? Um... Don't even say hello to me. You'll make my footstep. Um, my feelings get hurt easily. Easily. And ridiculously. I don't mean, oh, if somebody says something mean, you should shake it off, but it hurts my feelings. That would be normal. Uh, I mean things like, if you compliment the guy next to me, it hurts my feelings. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know how tough it is to go through life? Oh, look at your buddy there. I love his coat. Really? Uh, I'll just go. These lights, by the way, hurt my sunburn. Um, but I'll stand up here to help alcoholics, by God. Sunlight of the Spirit. Um... As I said, I know. <laughs> yeah, my life's fading fast, let me tell you. Less symbolism in that. Um, <laughs> at least somebody's listening. Uh, <laughs> um, 
oh man, I'm lost. I usually just start over when that happens, so. Um, I didn't feel like I was enough. And I don't know where that came from. Uh, nobody told me that. But I didn't measure up to people. And I fall into a trap that a lot of us do. The worse I start to feel about myself, I start making comparisons to the way I feel, to the way you look. And I come up short. Because you don't look anxious like I do. You don't look like you're full of fear like I am. You don't look like you have these perceptions that I have. And I started to develop a very terminal case of uniqueness. Uh, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was very different from everyone else. And some days that's a bad thing. On days where my self-esteem would magically rise for no reason, I called it, I'm special. But I was always different. Unique, special, different, whatever, apart from and I never had really felt until I got into Alcoholics Anonymous that somebody knew an earthquake? Um, that somebody knew what? Tsunami. All right. I'm going to keep talking regardless. No. That's the emergency procedure there. Sit down. No tsunami more deadly than what we have. Um, so, I'm going through life, and I'm a broken individual. I really am. I'm broken, and I do not possess the tools for life that other people seem to have. But I don't know any of this. And uh, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I'm scared to tell anybody, because I'm convinced if I do, they're going to lock me up. And uh, it's a lonely, at times very painful way to grow up. Yet at the inside, I was always a little optimist. I always thought it was going to be different. That somehow, magically, next year was going to be different. Next year in school was going to be different. It's going to be different in the fifth grade. I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to apply myself. I'm going to use my potential. I'm going to... All these great things that would never come to fruition. And uh, I just continued to stumble along in life. Now, I found an answer to what was wrong with me when I was 15. When I was 15 years old, I didn't find the problem. I found the answer, and that was alcohol. Alcohol has an amazing ability to change the way I perceive you, the world, and myself, almost instantaneously. It is truly a magical elixir for me. It takes every deficiency that I have, every hole that I feel is in my makeup, and it fills them up. Sometimes it overfills them. And I become comfortable. I become confident. I become intelligent. I become... Smooth, suave. People debate about being a lover and a fighter. Hell, I'm both. And, uh, happy. Hopefully with the same person. And, uh, I used to, uh, so I was 15 when I started drinking. Um, we met a counselor one time. And I remember when I told her that, she got real interested in that. And, and she was like, oh, Jesus, I mean, that's pretty traumatic. That's pretty young. Yes, now that you mention it, it is pretty young. And uh, she said, do you think it's, it's detrimental to your psyche that alcohol robbed you of your childhood? Uh, yes, now I, that you mention it, I do think that. Um, don't feel too bad for me. I got my childhood back in my 20s and 30s. But, but I, you know, I really did. I thought I was, I was a, a person who started young. Now, you come into Alcoholics Anonymous and you come to realize that it's not young. We have people that are 15, they have like 10 years of sobriety, okay? So, it's not impressive. It's impressive age catching them that young, but um, alcohol is the answer for me. I remember sitting there, I, I go somewhere, and like I said, I'm so full of fear, I'm so full of inadequacy, I'm so full of doubt. I've got so much me on me, I'm analyzing everything, I'm looking at everything, and I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable to my very fiber. And then I start drinking. You know, I remember I would sit and think about things like, you know, I'm, I'm never going to ask any girls out because I couldn't possibly stand the rejection. I'd probably have to kill myself. And uh, I always felt this envy towards guys, this jealousy, because they seemed to have this camaraderie. I mean, you know, they just knew how to talk and interact with each other, and I never knew how. They knew how to dress. They knew how to be cool. They knew how to high-five. They knew how to talk about sports. 
I didn't have any of that. I felt like a fish out of water all the time. You get me drunk, that changes. You get me drunk and I suddenly start looking around the room thinking, who am I going to bestow an honor of taking that honey home? Because this is a very big thing. I'm not intimidated and I'm not at least a bit concerned with what she has to say about it. I remember I asked this girl out and she told me to get lost and uh, I wasn't offended or fear-driven or anything. I locked her in the bathroom so she could come to her senses. See if that helps. I'm not, uh, I'm not intimidated by uh, other guys. And I let them know, you know, if they're looking for trouble, look no further than right here, baby. God, I love being that guy. I love being that guy, but it's hard to be trouble. I always wanted that nickname. That was like my big aspiration, is uh, to be known as trouble, you know. When I come into a room, people go, oh, here comes trouble, you know. I mean, they're like that. But it's hard. I'm not wired to be trouble, because this is how I am. Hey, Jeff, that guy doesn't like you. Why? What did I do? You know, the, the trouble. What? Um, I'm not wired. But when I have the aid of alcohol, I am. And I like who I become. Now, I start to drink too much very soon. And quickly I notice that I seem to have a little bit of trouble uh, controlling my intake of alcohol. From here on out, I'm going to call it the beach syndrome, now that I did it again today with suntan and... Um, and uh, I just go a little further than I intended to go. Because I would always go out with these great intentions of just getting there. And I would get there, and then I can't stop. I keep thinking, one more, one more, two more. And I just, I always overshoot the mark. I start to act a little bizarre when I'm drunk. The solution is now taking on some consequence. I start to get into a little bit of trouble. I start to concern people who love me. I start to endure lectures of frothy emotional appeal for people that are trying to get me now to start to straighten up and fly right. And it's all going in, ear, in one ear and out the other. Uh, and I'm starting to become a person that I don't really want to be. Remember, I'm drinking just to have a good time. And uh, something else is happening. I'm becoming mean. I'm, I'm starting to... I'm, I'm a, you know, I... I want to add this. Sometimes you hear people, maybe they are, I don't know, but people get up and say things like, you know, I was really good at drinking. You know, like that's a badge of honor. Even for AA members, we have to say that. And uh, it took me a while to realize this, but I was not good at drinking. I wasn't the least bit good. I'm a crier. I'm a bedwetter. I'm a suicide drunk, blackout drunk, puker. I mean, I'm not good at this. And uh, call ex-girlfriends at 3 a.m. drunk. I'm not anything cool. So, but I thought I was, and uh, I got drunk one night, nothing new, I was in high school, and there was a lot of hurt inside of me, and when I would get drunk, I would, it would have to come out, and it would come out on other people. I would decide that I want other people to hurt as much as I was, and I would use my tongue to do so, and I would start just laying into people, going after what I thought were their hot spots. And I was doing this one night, and I, I literally had ostracized myself from the room so that the entire room was on one side, all the people, and I was standing, yeah, much like tonight, um, I, was, <laughs> I was standing on the other side of the room, and uh, this lady stepped forward, and, and she said, what is the matter with you? And a voice deep down inside of me where the truth lies uh, thought to myself, I don't know, I don't know. I've never known what's wrong with me. I've never been able to put my finger on it. I've never been able to tell anyone. I've never been able to even get my own head around it, much less explain it to someone else. I know this. I didn't want this to happen tonight. I was just drinking to take the edge off. I didn't in any way want to start saying these things. I don't want to hurt people. I feel bad when I hurt people. I don't want to be that guy at all. But here I am again doing these things I don't want to do saying these things I don't want to say, going places I don't want to go, and I don't know what's wrong with me. Now, I know what's wrong with me today. And back to that newcomer, I do want to welcome you. And I want to tell you what was wrong with me then and what's wrong with me now. My problem is that I am an alcoholic. I suffer from alcoholism. And alcoholism is a threefold illness that affects me in three different areas. It affects me physically, spiritually, and mentally. It affects me physically. Let's talk about that for a minute. It affects me in a manner that the book describes in the doctor's opinion. He calls it a phenomenon of craving, which is a perfect way to describe it. 
I know it in more simpler terms. The drink takes a drink. I start drinking and I lose the ability to control. No matter what the great intentions I had, no matter what I was hoping to do, I start drinking and my body seems to process alcohol differently than normal people and I start craving more. And it's a phenomenon. It's inexplainable. How could I possibly tell anyone that's different? I just thought if you didn't drink the way I drank, you didn't have the problems I had. So I have this physical allergy to alcohol. Now, that's pretty serious, right? But in and of itself is probably not anything you're going to end up at meetings for the next 20 years to not do, okay? For example, if you're allergic to bananas, and every time you eat bananas, you get big red hives all over your skin and chunks of your hair start falling out. What are you going to do? All right, let's for one time see that eh, maybe it was just a bad banana. I'm going to try one more time. Nope. You know, same thing. How far are you going to go? Well, I'm sure it's just tequila bananas doing it. I'm sure Dole will be fine. That'll be a good deal. You know, it seems like every time I eat bananas, I have an adverse reaction when I'm with him. I'm not going to eat bananas with him anymore. You're going to be sneaking off to have a banana late at night somewhere and lying to people? You're going to keep them in your house in case somebody shows up and might need one. You know any bananas? I can't have any, but I wanted to be hospitable. Um, well, maybe just one. Um... No, no. You know what else you're not going to do? You're not going to go to meetings of Banana Anonymous or whatever we call it. I don't know. I hadn't thought that part of the story. Um, you're going to quit. You're just going to quit. Now, I have a lot worse things happen to me than just my hair falling out or red hives developing when I drink. And yet, I continually go back to it. Continually. Despite all this great evidence that I have, I have a mind that pushes that all aside for the insane idea that it will be different this time. The book, in the doctor's opinion, describes it as a mental obsession of the mind. When I first heard that, I thought, that's not me. I don't think about drinking all the time, but that's not what they mean. It means I have a mind that will take me there. And we can all, the book, we can all fill in the blank with new and ridiculous ways that we've justified going in to take a drink. I was, uh, one time I was in a phase, I thought the more people that I told I would quit drinking, the better my chances were for sobriety. That doesn't work. Um, and so, I was on a big quit drinking kick, and I, uh, I told everybody we were on our way on some road trip. I'm sitting in the back of this car with a cooler full of beer next to me, and I reach in and crack one and go. And uh, somebody says to me, I thought you quit drinking. And I said, well, yeah, when I'm at home, not on road trips. By the way, side note, I hung out with the kind of people that made sense to them, too. Oh, yeah. That'd be crazy. Um, total abstinence. Uh, so a mind that leads me back to drinking, a body that can't seem to process alcohol. I'm in trouble. I'm in a lot of trouble with just those two facets right now. And it could kill me with just those two. Let's get to the third part. I have this spiritual malady. I am disconnected from something in which I cannot be disconnected from. I am a lamp sitting on the, on the stage here that is not plugged in. Beautiful lamp, maybe, but it's not going to work. No power coming into it. Got to have power. And I have none of it. My natural state, when I'm sober, not when I'm drinking, when I'm sober, is to be restless, irritable, and discontent. And I promise you, anything I've gone through in my life can usually be traced back to one of those three things. I'm always restless, and I have the worst kind of restless. Half the time, I don't even know what it's about or what the answer is. I just know it's not here. Huh? This job, i got to change that. i got to get in a relationship, out of a relationship, move, quit my job, get fired, whatever. I just, something's got to change. Always looking for that magic answer. And I like things that are new and shiny, by the way. Love things that are new and shiny. And so when I get into something new, I think, ah, this is it. I get into a new job, and I'm like, this is it. These people appreciate me. They respect me. It's going to be great here. And then about two to three weeks go by, and I start. they get used to me, and I get used to them. And my mind, in an immature way, says, well, 
This ain't it either. And I move on. Restless. Discontented. I'm discontented in that nothing is ever good enough. Nothing keeps it shine long enough. Whatever I do cannot keep. Whatever valve inside of us holds your self-esteem. Mine doesn't stay full very long. I've done some things in my life that have caused that thing to go up. I've felt pretty good about myself. But it drains quickly, like a bathtub with no plug. It's always going out. And I can't do enough good things to keep it full. But I'm discontented with things. And I'm discontented with my life. And I'm just sick of everything. And when I get a new car, a month later, I got the wrong color. And just on and on and on and on. So we got a red one. Why did I buy black? That was dumb. Oh, no. I'm irritable. I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of life being easier for other people than it is me. I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of everything. And I'm sick of getting the shaft. And I'm just not a... That's who I am sober. And unless, when I drink, by the way, I'm just going to continue with my horrific plagiarism of the doctor's opinion. Uh, when I uh, drink, I experience a sense of ease and comfort, which i got to tell you is the best way I know to describe my drinking. It's how it feels for a little while, and it's exactly what I'm looking for. Ease and comfort. But I don't get that, of course, for the reasons I just described, and so I continue on to what's called the well-known stages of a spree. Emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to let it happen again. And unless I can experience a psychic change, spiritual awakening, personality change sufficient enough to bring about recovery from alcoholism, unless I can take old ideas, attitudes, and beliefs and cast them aside for a completely new set, unless I can make some kind of a change, some kind of a connection to a power greater than myself, I'm doomed to repeat this until I die from it, potentially go insane, or apparently we can end up in prison for life. Those are our three options. People like me, that's all I have. Quitting drinking is no solution to that ailment. In fact, if I quit drinking and I don't have some method of recovery in my life, I continue to start to exhibit signs and symptoms that most people would classify as mental illness. True story. That's how I get when I'm sober. My sponsor's sponsor described it as a rubber band getting more and more tight, just more and more, or a spring he talks about where he's pushing it in and more and more tight, so eventually it's going to blow. And that's what happens to me is eventually I can't take it anymore and I'm off drinking. Now, I didn't know all of that at that party when that girl asked me what was wrong with me, so I probably just gave her some belligerent answer that people like me do when we're cornered. Uh, and I continued on my merry way. Uh, I fell to the prey to the belief that if I change my environment, certainly everything else will change too, and I changed towns and went down to college, the idea being that uh, it's all going to be different when I get to college. I'm not going to worry so much about what other people think about me. I'm just going to hit the books 24-7, baby. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to live in the library. I'm going to be a nerd, right? Because that's what I called people who studied all the time back then was nerds, right? I don't call them nerds today. I call them boss and sir and things like that. But... But let me assure you, I was really cool in 89 for three months. And that didn't go as planned. I didn't do any of that. I didn't live up to these chosen ideals. And uh, I just muddled my way through college. Came down for my second year. I was still a freshman. You'll be surprised to know. And, uh, and I started on my very way. I uh, had made a declaration to not drink. And it was the first night of college, and uh, some people came by, and they peer pressured me into drinking. Yeah, I always say that, and people laugh. But you tell me if you could withstand this kind of pressure. Seriously. They walked by my door, and they said, hey, we're going drinking. You want to go? Hey, hey, wait for me. Um, I can't argue with logic like that. <laughs> you know, I say that jokingly, but really, truth be told, what I'm hearing when people say that is, we want you to be part of this. And the drinking, of course, I know, you know, it's going to be different. Uh, and off I go and, and uh, uh, get drunk and I see a her across the room. Yeah. And I knew this girl a little bit. She didn't know that I knew her, but um, I knew her. Because I'd been doing some uh, homework on her. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm dating myself with old terminology. Uh, they have a different word for that today, and they call it stalking. And uh, you may know it by that term. But 
call it dedicated romance, by the way. You know how hard it is to follow somebody around? A lot of work. And, uh, and she, uh, all right, um, We all did the Um She, uh, uh, I went up to her. I was right on top of the world where alcohol can take me. And I let her know my feelings for what I'd been doing. And I just went on and on. I mean, I just, I, I wanted her to know everything about it. I don't want to start this relationship off with a bunch of lies and deceit. So... <laughs> So I, so I thought it in my head, I'm like, well, you know, I think about suicide all the time, but I wouldn't do that if we were together. Um, nobody's going to have to explain to me. I still, after everything I've done in AA, I don't understand that. I don't understand how a woman doesn't hear that and go, that's so sweet. That's just, actually... I do know of women who, who say that when you say things like that to them. They're in Al-Anon. And, uh, don't boo that. Screw. Don't you Al-Anons boo me? There'd be no Al-Anons. It wasn't for our screwing up. Um, you want to know the difference between AA and Al-Anon, by the way? You need to look no further than our literature. We have, as Bill sees it, Al-Anon has Lois remembers. Uh, yeah, I know how you see it, Bill. Let me tell you how it was. You were drunk. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, yeah, Steiner. Hey, I didn't know that. He's seen point himself all humbly. Nice. You guys work the steps. Um, I'd be like, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Um, let's have a little fun, shall we? By the way, the speaker's boss. I should let you know I'm new at this and don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just mean. Um, I'm just making note of that on my ninth step in my phone here. I owe, owe him a man. Um, <laughs> I let this girl know all this stuff. She tells me that I scare her and she uh, she wants me to leave. Um, I'm going to speed this up. I go home in a big huff uh, and I decide, I don't know, just something snapped inside of me and I decided that I just want to die. I just, I want out. I'm just, life is hard and it's painful and I don't like it and it's never going to get better for me. Um, and uh, I, I was taking sleeping pills at the time and I, I took a bunch of uh, sleeping pills and waited to die. And uh, a buddy of mine came up, and uh, he was frantic when he found out what happened. He told me that um, we need to get to a hospital so I can see a priest, or my soul would never be admitted to heaven. I was so drunk, that made sense. I'm like, let's go. I drove myself to the psych ward. And uh, ran up, and a nurse came out, frantic, and... Um, she's like, oh my God, oh my God, I need to know what you took. And I, I handed her the bottle and I, I took a handful of these. And she started laughing. Now, I'm going to pause things there, right? I'm just going to pause the story there for a little bit. I know. You're gonna, but Jeff, did you live or die? Uh, we'll get to that. Don't you worry. I want to welcome you for new. And I hope, anyway, I want to say something in all seriousness. You have to hear about the laughter in Alcoholics Anonymous. And 
how attractive it is. And I hope if you're new, uh, you are finding it to be attractive, because we truly are not a glum lot. I would take it a step further, though. It's not just that we laugh. It's what we laugh at. We can laugh at the boogeyman who used to live in our closet. They no longer have the power to hurt us anymore. I have the opportunity here to laugh at the greatest joke that God's ever done for me, myself. I have the opportunity to not take myself so serious. You think that when I was sitting in the, in the psych ward? Oh, I told you the end of the story already. Um, surprise! Um, <laughs> I'm shocked, Edward. I can't believe that. Um, that this fine young man ended up in the psych ward. Um, but when I was sitting in the psych ward, I didn't think I would be traveling across the uh, Pacific Ocean to share that with people at all. It was serious stuff. The more I'm playing God in my life, the more serious I have to become, because it's a big job. And uh, But uh, if you are new, I do want to welcome you, and I do hope you're laughing. I want to give you some helpful suggestions. I want to tell you that I would get a sponsor tonight. Don't wait. Don't debate it. Don't journal. Get a sponsor. If you don't know who, ask the person to your right. Quantify if they're actually in AA or not, and then get them. You in AA? You're my sponsor. So I can find someone better. Um, I think it's interesting. I like to bring this up because I like to poke fun at If we laugh at me, we're going to laugh at AA. Alcoholics Anonymous, right? This beautiful, wonderful organization. We stand up here and say we're the most successful treatment of alcoholism the world has ever known. No ego in that. And... Um, Alcoholics Anonymous has no official definition of alcoholism. That sounds kind of important. I want to say that again. Alcoholics Anonymous has no official definition of alcoholism. Isn't that just like us, right? So if you're new and you're walking in the door, this is what you get. Uh, can someone tell me what alcoholism is? Yeah, we don't know. We're not sure. We have no definition. Oh, well... Certainly you could tell me if I am or not. <laughs> we can't do that. No. No. We don't. We don't do that. Oh. Okay. Um, well, what do I do? You just do what we do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, if I do that, what will I get? You'll get what we have. Yeah. yeah, here's the worst part. I know, I know. And we all signed up for that deal. Oh, put me down for life. I hope in 20 years I'm in Honolulu talking about it. Um, I think there are... Some other things beyond just our drinking that help uh, bond us, common similarities that many of us seem to have. Uh, I think that uh, a lot of times, most alcoholics I know are very poor at taking compliments. We have to actually tell you why you should not have complimented us in the first place. It's a really nice tie, Jeff. Yes, I got it on sale, nah. Remember my sponsor told me, why don't you shut up and just say thank you? Well, that's an option, too. Um, are you, uh, another thing I've noticed about us is we're incapable of looking at any kind of photo album unless we're in it. You know? I mean, and then flipping through it like a madman to get to the next picture of me. Oh, that's a great one of me. Oh man, my eyes are closed. I should wear that shirt more often. You got an 8 by 12 of this? Um, not for me, I thought it looked good over your mantle. Um, <laughs> you take a lot of pride in the fact that you have potential. I did, so I told the sponsor about it one day. He was trying to get me to do some humiliating, demeaning task in A of service to others, and I said, I don't know about that. Uh, I had a lot of potential. And uh man, he got interested in that. He said, really? He said, uh, do you know what potential is? Well, not exactly, but I know I had a lot of it. You know, and he said, uh, potential is unused energy. He said, that's what you're bragging about, is I have a lot of unused energy. Well, it doesn't sound as good coming out of your mouth as it did in my head. I'll tell you that. 
so. When I was standing in front of that nurse, I think I forgot about her. And she's laughing at me. I'm thinking to myself, this isn't funny. What you're laughing at is a sad day. A person of my great potential is leaving this world. And, uh, <laughs> and then she holds up the bottle. And she's like, Jeff, what you took were vitamin C tablets. Gee, oh. let me get this straight. Will that not kill you? Because I took a handful. I didn't have a cold for months. Um, I stumbled in and out of doctors and counselors. I've taken tests. I've been put on medications. I've got a lot of things done to inform me to be helpful. Good people, well-meaning people who are doing the best they can with what I can give them to work with. I have an illness that one of its most powerful tools is the deep-seated belief that I don't have it. It continually masks and hides itself from me, and it can't be alcoholism. And I talked about that at the outset of this talk, about hearing the wrong message. Let me assure you of something. If you had problems way before you drank, if you felt odd and ill at ease, disconnected, like you're unique or special, and you find that sometimes taking a few drinks can take the edge off of that, but you tend to overshoot the mark once in a while, then welcome home, my friends. I don't know what that means, but I love it. I'm assuming it means something good. I don't know the Hawaiian culture. That could be shut up, the dance. We gotta dance. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm gonna assume it's good. I love you. Um, <laughs> um, you are sitting in, in the most successful treatment that the world has ever known for one of the, in my opinion, one of the more deadly illnesses that flies under the radar. If the world actually knew the devastation, grief, death, pain, and misery that alcoholism causes. Um, but a lot of our deaths are misdiagnosed with other things, and, and they don't always know that it was actually alcoholism at the root of it. It's a very serious thing, and luckily we have a very serious answer here. And when I was 21 years old, I found that answer. I stumbled into the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was beaten down enough to where I would listen. I started to listen to what people shared. I started to identify first with the way people drank. Then I identified with the way they felt. Then I identified with the way that they thought. And I think for someone to get Alcoholics Anonymous, there has to be two things that need to happen somewhere early on. The first has to be identification. If I don't identify as an alcoholic, then AA is good for you, but not me. So I have to come to this realization that what you have, I have. And then the second thing that needs to happen is I need to gain some hope. I need to come to the realization that you have what I have, and yet you're living better. You're not drinking. You're handling things. You're manageable. Maybe if I do what you've done, maybe I can have this too. And I have to find that hope that something can change for me. And somewhere along the lines... As I sat in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, I was 21, I was convinced I was the youngest person in the history of the world to sober up. I sat and I listened as much as I could. I took up space. I talked about off-topic things that I didn't realize weren't part of the topic. You know, it'd say things there. The topic is fear. It's a good topic, nothing wrong with that. I'd be yakking about spiders or ghosts or something. I didn't understand what they meant. And, uh, when I was six months sober, sober, I left my house one night with the idea of I'm going to kill myself or try a one last time. And by the grace of God, I ended up in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know how. And I just threw it on the table. And I said, I'm, I'm dying. Everybody's always told me if I quit drinking, I'll be okay. And, and that's not true. I'm not okay. Uh, I cry myself to sleep most nights. I don't like my life. I don't like where it's going. I don't feel good about things. I'm not grateful for things. Logically, I know I should be. But in my heart, I'm not. I don't, I don't like any of this. And sobriety isn't it either. It's just one more failed attempt at fixing me. And uh, a lady across the, uh, the room heard all of this, and she said, uh, I think you need to get a sponsor. And uh, I was beaten down to a point where that sounded like a good idea. And 
I asked this, this guy to be my sponsor, and um, I started a journey in Alcoholics Anonymous. And he got me involved in a, I mean, I remember him saying to me, we're going to have you participate in your recovery. I didn't know what that meant. It sounded like work, and I don't like that. And uh, I had to get a home group, and he strongly suggested that it be his home group. I had to commit myself to it, that I would be there every week. In fact, what they used to tell me is, the only reason that you should ever miss that home group is if there's a death in the family, and we'd prefer it be yours. So, feed it. All right. Not a lot of wiggle room there. Um, he asked that I meet with him once a week, and uh, we were going to go through the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he asked that I uh, start to not say no to a request, that I start to participate and go places and go to meetings and so on and so forth. And I started doing all this. And um, I stayed sober. My life slowly but surely got a little better. Somewhere along the lines, I came to the realization that what's wrong with me is alcoholism. And my solution is Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you hear nothing else, hear this part, please, on recovery. Alcoholics Anonymous is the most important thing in my life. Practicing these principles, yeah. Bar none. I have a lot of things today that common sense would dictate should be more important now. I have a job that I have a lot of responsibility in. That certainly should be way up high on my priority. I have a wife and three kids. Family. Family is very important to me. Ohana, right? 24 hours. I'm already fitting in. Um, I have a family that should be number one in my life. I have all these different things. I have selfish pursuits. I have whatever. But if I don't have what I get here in Alcoholics Anonymous, I lose all that. It's a no-brainer. It's an absolute no-brainer. It's like arguing what kind of things to bring on a ship. You better first have the ship going right. You know, arguing over what kind of deck chairs I want. I've got a big hole in it. It's not doing me any good. Uh, that's a horrible analogy for sobriety and recovery. I'm never saying it again. Um, A list of analogies here. We're going to cross that one off. Um, so anyway, I got involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. And my sponsor, he just pulled me along in his wake when I couldn't do it myself. He tricked me into doing things. He, uh, remember one time, he, he, he got, I had to be a greeter at my home group. And I'd have to show up ungodly early. Stand there like a buffoon greeting people. I wasn't even happy to be there myself. And I'm welcoming people. All sarcastically and caustically, you know. Welcome. And, um, we're glad you're here. Sit down. Um, so, he asked me one night, he's like, you want to go to the hospital? We're speaking up there. I'm like, eh, I suppose. I couldn't think of anything. He goes, oh, we're all meeting at my house at five. God, man, the meeting's at eight. Seems early. I suppose I'm going to have to stand there for three hours and greet or something. So I get there, we take off, and the next thing you know, we're driving out of town. And uh, I'm like, uh, I thought we were speaking at the hospital. He's like, oh, we are, but it's in Bismarck, 100 miles away. And off we go. And uh, now, I don't know if this goes on in Hawaii or not, but I've found in my study of Alcoholics Anonymous that whenever a sponsor, and the magic number seems to be three, whenever they start sponsoring three or more people, one of those sponsees inevitably rises to the good one. Okay? You know that, yeah. They just love AA and are grateful. Yeah. Make people like me sick, you know, like, oh. So, Chris was the good one. Chris is in front, because he's on time, of course. He's early. That's what Chris does. He gets there early and prays. Um, I'm in the back, middle, pump. Because I was five minutes late. And I have to endure a lecture from my sponsor about how when I'm five minutes late, I'm robbing each person of five minutes of their life. So actually, I just took 20 minutes of people's life. Jesus, how about I just not go? And um, 
I'm in the back. And Chris pulls out a copy of Esbell's season and says, how about we play a game to pass the time? I'm going to read a reading from Esbell's season, and then we'll guess what it's from. Was it the big book? Twelve and twelve? A letter Bill wrote? Uh, <laughs> who knows? The possibilities are endless. And, uh... <laughs> And I'm in the back, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, no, absolutely not. Pull over on the side of the road and let me out with whatever dignity I have left. Because I am not spending Saturday night playing a what-the-hell-did-Bill-write-this-in game at all. Not going to happen. Now... I thought that. It's an important distinction to make. I didn't say that. I was way too afraid of my sponsor to say that. <laughs> I just sat in the back and went like this a lot. <laughs> By the way, anyone who ever hears this tape goes, what did he do? What happened? You'll never know. Be here in person next time. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm in the back, and uh, I learned something important that night about Alcoholics Anonymous for me. Alcoholics Anonymous is more concerned with what I do rather than what I think. It's more concerned with what my feet are doing than what my head is saying. And my head was saying a lot of bad things that night, but my feet and my butt were in that car going to that hospital. I got up and gave my little pitch. I did the best I could. I got in the car and came back, and I participated in the fellowship. And I continued to take the right actions that you're supposed to, or at least enough right actions in Alcoholics Anonymous, to continually put together some sobriety, to get my life a little better, and to kind of progress along. When I was two years sober, I met a her. Uh, we'd gotten hired at the same uh, uh, job at the same day, and um, wow, uh, that's a sign. And... Uh, She was uh, she was a little different than some of the other women in my life in that she actually seemed interested in me. Oh, that's attractive. Uh, went to my sponsor. I said, I met this girl at work. I want to date her. He said, ah, you know, Jeff, it's, it's not a good idea to date people you work with. Now, I'm two years sober. I listened to my sponsor. Absolutely. No problem. I went down and quit my job and then asked her out. you got to be specific. We started a tumultuous relationship that was just hideous. By the time we'd been dating for three months, we were seeing a marriage counselor, and we weren't even engaged. One time, in the waiting office of the marriage counselor, she got mad at me because I said something a little rude, and um, she doused me with hot coffee. I know. I had to go into this doctor's office. I remember we walking in, we're like, yeah, we're fighting right now, <laughs> so we'll just give you an up-close view of how well things are. Long story short, I, I, I had made her number one, and she became more important to me than Alcoholics Anonymous. And when I do that, trouble ensues, and uh, my alcoholism starts roaring like a tornado, and uh, things were out of hand. And, and the way that I... The problem for me in relationships is that I find it impossible that you would actually want to be with me. So I require you to treat me special today and better tomorrow. And if we can just keep that going, we'll be fine. Let me tell you what that does. That gets you at a marriage counselor at three months into the relationship. And uh, I just I require all this stuff that she couldn't possibly have done. And so I had to get Alcoholics Anonymous back where it belongs. I had to get it back as number one in my life. And when I did that, things straightened out enough at least to allow us to continue on uh, and to eventually get married. We, we started uh, uh, this life together being married. We wanted to have a baby, and, and we were trying, and nothing was happening. Um, and I remember, uh, I'm skipping a lot of this, but I remember one night uh, we took this pregnancy test. It was like the tenth one in a row, and it was negative, and we were just crushed. And sometimes for me, that's what it takes for me to finally surrender. I spend a constant battle up and until this moment sometimes 
of always wanting to rebel against surrender. And I didn't want to surrender to this idea that God should be in charge of me having a baby. I deserve it. And I've got a long list on why I should get one, and it wouldn't happen. And so that night, I, I did the most sincere prayer that I could. And I said, God, whatever you want for me, I'm going to be okay with. I'm not going to have a baby, fine. We'll get a dog, or we'll adopt, or we'll do something. And uh, it turns out we had, uh, we had not read there. We had not waited long enough for the test. And the next morning when we looked, it was positive. And we had a little boy. And uh, that little boy's middle name is Wilson, after Bill Wilson. And um, I thought it was fitting. Uh, by the way, when he was in... Uh, when he was in kindergarten, he had to write uh, a little paper on on uh, why he was named, why you know he had the name that he had. He wrote, he wrote, "I'm named after Bill Wilson, who started a program that saved my daddy's life." <laughs> and he wrote it with his pen he used at school all year, which was a pen from the corners of the roundup that said, Sobriety, the great life. <laughs> How many kindergartens are doing that? Huh? Seventeen months later, we had a little girl, my wife, who doesn't understand the importance of AA, vetoed the name Abigail Dr. Bob, and... Uh, started cruising along. By the time I was five years sober, I came to a, a, the light bulb went on over my head. You know those magic alcoholic moments where the light bulb goes on? No. Yeah. Wow. You know what? You're right. You know those magic moments when we think the light bulb has gone on? Touche. Um, and I came to this realization that I could be something in Alcoholics Anonymous. I could really be something here. Finally. My whole life I wanted to be something. And I could be something here. Because if there's one thing I want to do, it's to become a big deal in an anonymous organization. <laughs> that looks like a great goal. And I took off. I, t- I threw myself into Alcoholics Anonymous. I started working with anyone who would get within 12 feet of me. I started, uh, I needed to keep my list high of sponsees, so I just started volunteering my services, indefinitely. I started working hard to want, I wanted to speak, and I wanted to, you know, get that down, because that's part of being a big deal, you got to be a speaker. I had to start a meeting. There was no meeting in Fargo, North Dakota that was good enough for me, so I had to start another one. And uh, got a bunch of people together. We started this meeting. It got really big, really fast. became the biggest meeting in North Dakota. 250 people were going once upon a time. And uh, everything. This is what I've always wanted. But a funny thing was happening to me. I was moving towards that door. And I didn't know it. Now, that can't happen to me. That cannot happen to me. Do you know how many people I sponsor? Let me tell you, I have a list right here. 26. And uh, I don't now. Um, I speak at this many conferences. I don't say no to AA requests. I started this group. I have a commitment here. I'm on this roundup panel. I'm that, 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 that. Here's all my AA resume and how wonderful I am. I'm dying inside. I'm taking actions that are not becoming someone who at this point in time is now 10, 12 years sober. I'm taking hideous, hurtful actions. I'm hurting my friends. I'm hurting sponsees. I'm hurting my wife. I'm hurting my children. I'm disappointing myself. And I'm leaving Alcoholics Anonymous because it's starting to look different to me. Alcoholics Anonymous is not this wonderful place it was when I came in. It's different now. It's clicky. A lot of clicks. Which by definition, according to Clancy, clicks are just groups I don't belong to. And uh, there's a lot of them. I have a lot of judgments. I have a lot of ideas on how things are supposed to go in Alcoholics Anonymous, and nobody's following it. And I get up in the morning, and I mentally plan out a script for everybody, and uh, nobody's following it. And I don't know why they ask that person to read how it works. They're a phony. I don't even know if they're alcoholic. In fact, they're not. Um, 
Yeah, that guy gave a good talk, but that's all he does is talk from the podium. Guy giving a newcomer a ride in a year. Um, really, Jeff, you seem awfully obsessed with him. No, no. I'm just concerned about the truth. <laughs> and that you know it. Um, AA was a good thing for me once upon a time, and it helped me. I'm grateful for it. But I need something else. I need something else. It's not enough for advanced cases like me. And we start looking. We start looking elsewhere. We start looking at other things that have more shine now. Look at this group over here. These beautiful people seeking God together. They're doing important work. They're going on missions for God's sake. They're not just giving some guy a ride across town as he sits over there shaking in your car. They're doing important stuff. Maybe that. Maybe I wasn't an alcoholic. Maybe it wasn't that bad. I don't know. Maybe I need something else. Maybe this is biological like I always thought it was. I'll tell you what it was. I'll tell you tonight, as God is my witness, what was wrong with me. You hear me rattle off that cool AA resume, started meeting, sponsored people, speak, blue, 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 commitment. Let me tell you two things you did not hear me say. God and the steps. Those two things missing, I do not have recovery. I have a lot of activity in Alcoholics Anonymous, which is fine for a while, but it will not alleviate what is wrong with me. It will not give me that daily reprieve that I seek that the book talks about. And a reprieve, by the way, in passing, I had to look it up one time. A reprieve, it talks about, uh, we don't have a cure for alcoholism, what we have is a daily reprieve contingent on our spiritual maintenance. A daily reprieve, reprieve means postponement. Not cure, postponement. It means I'm not going to die today of this thing. I'm going to postpone it. Maybe I'll die tomorrow. That'll be contingent on what I do then. But today I'm going to take the right actions. So I was brought to a point where I needed to make some changes uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know when I got up here, honestly. I didn't look. I'm assuming it's been like ten minutes at least that I've been talking. So. What do I got? Oh, my God. Did you just hear that voice? Is that my ego finally actually developing a conscience of its own? Um... I was uh, brought to a point where I needed to make a change, and uh, I'd, I'd had good sponsors. I'd, of course, made some changes along the way, because you got to make changes. You're going to be a rock star in AA. you got to get the right one. And the guy came rolling through town. God, he, I didn't like this guy. He'd come through town, everyone ooh and ah over him, and three or four of my sponsees would be like, well, we like what he has to say. We're going to follow him. They'd leave, and that wasn't in my plan, and... Uh, I remember I walked up to him intent on letting him know how well I was doing without him in my life. Like he was wondering. Because I wonder if Jeff's doing okay without me in his life. Um, and I let him know. And he's like, yeah, I'm happy for you. And I'm just doing so well we could do lunch. Because I'd be happy to do lunch. We did lunch. And I just told him. I just told him I'm, I'm, I'm not well. I'm not right. And I don't like what's going on. And I'm, I'm afraid to tell people that. Because I've done so much AA that... I'm actually deep down inside afraid there's something else wrong with me. And you said, there's nothing else wrong with you, Jeff. You just haven't done the steps properly. You don't have a working relationship with God. And he said, I'd be happy to help you. And I said, I don't know if I want to make a sponsor change. And he said, I'm not interested in the title of sponsor. My job is just to help alcoholics. Now, I have to be all in. It was important for me that he be my sponsor. And I asked him and I started a journey. And I started a journey into the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that was my sole purpose. I started a journey to develop a relationship with a power greater than myself, one that I had not ever really had, one that didn't work, one I talked about, but I didn't have it. didn't work at 2 a.m., didn't work before you're coming up on a stage to speak to people, didn't work when you needed it, and that's really not a good God to have. And I went through the steps, and uh, through the course of that, I did all that we did, and, you know, made this declaration of powerlessness, and came to believe, and made a decision, I did a fourth step, and I made a list of my resentments and the cause and how it affects me. And then before I got to the fourth column, I did something I always found very insightful for me. is I went through and actually did what the book says. It talks about the people who have harmed us, how we look at them, and they, like ourselves, are sick too, are spiritually sick too. And we draw this correlation between the people that have harmed us. Because I, I noticed something about myself. When you have harmed me, I hang you up on the wall, and you're going to stay up there until I think you've learned a lesson. But when I have harmed you, 
I demand immediate forgiveness. Listen, I, I know I hurt you, but I'm sorry. I was tired. I was sunburned. I was low blood sugar. I was... <laughs> sunburned will do it. And, uh, and I, I became... You know, one of the things I learned, my sponsor talks about it, one of the things I learned, that one of the reasons resent, resentments are so detrimental is it forces me to become a prosecuting attorney. I have to feed the fire. It's not just that I'm now resentful again because he did something ten years ago. I have to feed it and look for reasons why I should continue to be resentful. Look at him. He's late to the meeting. Wearing black shoes. Wearing whatever. I mean, just all these... I'm not really resentful at you, Dan. I love you. And um, through the course of that, uh, I had a, a, a... I did my fears and my sex inventory, and I, I had a eventually an eighth step that had been brought out of that inventory, and I took off to make a mess. And uh, I had to do some, some humbling amends. I had to go drive a hundred miles to have somebody cancel on me because they didn't feel like it. I mean, I, I really had to put myself out there and I continued to do it. I started to just cross things off. I have six, I think, left on that list. I keep it right by me. Uh, it's not been lost. And in the course of doing that, I discovered the one thing that I'd been missing. The one thing I cannot be without is a relationship with God. I found it. Apparently, that's what the steps are designed to do. I wish someone would have told me that. Um, and that's it. Um, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy with my recovery. I have a lot of hope in my life today. And I found something that I had all these wants once upon a time. And they've gotten a little closer, and I've gotten a little closer to them. I'm not there yet. I don't have everything I want, but I certainly have everything I need. My relationships with the people uh, in my life, starting with my family and my coworkers, are immensely better. I get up and I make, I, I decided a couple years ago I wasn't very good at prayer life, so we started a prayer group, me and two other guys. Every morning, we pray together, out loud. I can't do it with them while I'm here, so Dan and I are doing it. And it's a humbling, beautiful, spiritual experience that we do. I get to get up and start my day with the most powerful of employers ever who will give me everything that I need to do his work. And his work is to help his kids. My job ain't to get mine. My job ain't to, certainly ain't to hand out justice like I've acted. Uh, it's just to go out there and, and help his kids, to help you. So if you are new, I want to welcome you. There are people here that would be do anything to help you. We've been where you're at. We know how you feel. And we're glad you're here. And if you're struggling... We're glad you're here, too. They say have a moment of silence for the alcoholic who still suffers. And in my mind, I always think that ain't always the newcomer. There are people here with a lot of time who are suffering. Let me close with this. Once upon a time, I wanted to be a big deal in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I told you that. Let me tell you what I am now. And I'm going to tell you through a story. There's a, a story about the the Messiah. He's coming back into town. He's riding a, a donkey. And as he comes into town, the people start cheering. They're cheering and throwing things, banging drums. Just, uh. What if the donkey thought it was for him? <laughs> what I am tonight, my friends, I'm just a jackass carrying the message. God bless. <laughs>